Well, today we are starting a, uh, a new study going through the Gospel of John. And so we're going to be in John chapter 1, so you can begin to turn there. Maybe that word gospel is new to you. Maybe, um, maybe even this book is, is new to you today. So, you know, we'll start out like, like the, the, the football coach, uh, Vince Lombardi, of the best football team in the NFL, once said to, said to his players, gentlemen, this is a football. Well, that's a good place to start at the basics, right? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bible. This is God's Word. And so we've got two parts to this. You've got the Old Testament. Uh, that's the bulk of this book, the, the whole first part, 39 books of the Bible in the Old Testament. And that's all uh, from creation, from the creation of the world. It begins in the beginning. And that leads us all the way through God choosing the nation of Israel, all the way up to 400 years of silence uh, after Israel has been taken off to captivity, brought back to the promised land, still looking for the restoration of the glory of God in the temple in Jerusalem and that time of longing and waiting and expectation. And then that intertestamental period, we call it, right between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Then we get into the New Testament. The New Testament is where we're at today. The New Testament begins with Jesus. This is when Jesus comes on the scene. And at the beginning of the New Testament, there are four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels or the four evangelists. Really, you can think of those as the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So you've got four different eyewitnesses that are all telling the same story, but from different vantage points, different perspectives. And so as we get into John's Gospel today, the Gospels are a great place to be at the beginning of the year as we lead up to Easter because it puts Easter in context. Easter is when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Before we get there, it's important to know about His mission. Who is he? Why is the resurrection a big deal? And so that's why we're going to be camping out in the Gospel of John for the next few months. The question that John brings to us is, have you seen Jesus as he is? On the front of your bulletin, uh, there's some information about our church. First of all, the name of our church, I don't know if you knew this, it's The Way Church. It's not because we think we're cooler than every other church in Aurora. You know, like, yeah, you guys got some other options. We are the way, church. No, that's not what that's all about. The context of our church name is in the verse right above that, which is taken from the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus is having a conversation with Thomas, and he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's a lot of people that would, would be okay with accepting Jesus as a way. You know, there's many paths that lead to God. You choose Jesus, I choose Islam, Buddhism. Many paths, Jesus is a way. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I am the way. There's many people who would be okay with accepting Jesus as a truth. You know, well, what's true for you may not be true for me. Truth is whatever we decide within ourselves to identify with, to proclaim, to expect other people to validate and affirm. And Jesus uh, challenges that assumption that's pretty popular today. And he says, I am the truth. There's a lot of people who would be okay with Jesus as a life. 
Karl Marx called religion the opiate of the masses. It's kind of a way, you know, of pacifying the masses, getting them to comply, live in ways that are uh, civil. We had a, you know, the state that we moved here from, Minnesota, our former governor, pro wrestling guy, Jesse Ventura, you know, this, we, we really knew how to elect him there, right? His quote was similar to Karl Marx. He, really, he said that uh, religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. Okay, so I mean, that, that's even more negative than Karl Marx, to be honest. But, you know, it's like if, if you need to believe in Jesus as a way for you to have a life, knock yourself out. It, it won't hurt anybody. You might be a nicer person and pay your taxes and not break laws. So good for you. But Jesus didn't say that he is a life. He proclaims that he is the life. And so the challenge of this eyewitness account of Jesus is have we seen him for who he really is? If he's just a way, a truth, a life, we could probably wrap it up and go home right now. But if he is the way, the truth, the life, if there's no way to see the Father except through him, we better stay where we're sitting for a little bit longer and get into his word together today. Find out who he really is and how that impacts our futures. Well, John is going to go about his eyewitness account in a little bit different way than the other three gospel writers. We call those the synoptic gospels. They kind of follow a similar pattern and John goes all off on his own in a whole different direction. So when you look at the beginnings of the Gospels in Matthew, he starts with a genealogy because that's really a riveting way to start a story, right? But, but Matthew's genealogy traces Jesus' lineage from Abraham through David to Jesus. And then he gets into the, the Christmas story of, of angels appearing to Mary and the birth of a baby boy there in Bethlehem. And that, that story that we read at Christmas time, that's Matthew's beginning. Mark starts right with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who proclaims that Jesus is coming. That's where Mark begins. Luke kind of ties those two together and he gives the story of John's birth and Jesus' birth together. And then he gets into a genealogy as well that goes in the opposite direction. It starts from Jesus and it goes all the way back to Adam. And actually beyond that, he says... Adam, the Son of God. So it traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to God. John, he's, he's a more creative writer. His story begins with really a theological prologue, and that's what we're going to get into today in John chapter 1. But he goes back even further to before the dawn of time in his story. And that's where we're going to start today in this eyewitness account. Putting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in context Here's where John starts, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to leave that verse on the screen because maybe you are a, an astute Bible reader and you've read some other portions of this book at some point. And so while you're looking at these words from John 1, 1, Listen as I read another chapter 1, verse 1, and see if you see any parallels, any similarities at all. This is the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. Here's what it says. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Probably some familiar verses uh, that, that you've, you've heard if you've been around church for any period of time. John is bringing in that language from Genesis 1.1. And he's now putting Jesus out as the Word of God. Well, so we've got that, the, the first phrase there, in the beginning. For the reader of John's Gospel, for, that, for the person who's listening today, and saying, who is this Jesus? Do I know him as he is, as the way, the truth, the life? Have I seen him? Have I heard? John is saying there's a connection between creation and this Jesus. There's a new work of creation that God is doing. And it's through Jesus. It's through the one who precedes the first creation. Before there was even time, he was there. Before there was even the verb is, he already existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, that, that Word, capital W, Word, is another one that's kind of like, why, why that Word? Why, why does he use the word Word? Why doesn't he say, in the beginning was the Son, in the beginning was Jesus? Why is he using the word Word? I think a simplest solution that I would have for you is to, is to read to you, and I think I have the, the slide for this as well, from Hebrews chapter 1. I think this will give us some insight as to uh, what John is talking about when he refers to Jesus as God's Word. It says in Hebrews 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And it goes on. Jesus is the Word of God. Uh, the Word is, is something that God speaks. It's a way that God discloses Himself. He reveals Himself. Hebrews tells us that there's many ways that God has spoken and revealed Himself through the prophets, through the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1 tells us that uh, God has spoken through nature, through, through what is created. Uh, creation testifies of the glory of God. There's many ways that God has spoken. But the most definitive, the most clear, the most glorious, radiant way that he has spoken is through the Word, his Son, when the Creator, the one who was there at that first day of creation, stepped into creation himself and came. Jesus is the Word of God. And if God has spoken most clearly through Jesus, the challenge to us is are we listening? Are we seeing him as he is? Are we listening to that word? 
God himself come in human form. Now, what about, what about the end of this verse 1? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hopefully your mind just snapped when you heard that, right? Um, how can a thing be with something while also being that something? Is that possible? Like, Can you think of any other analogy or example of where you can be with something and be that thing? Right? That should be a mind-blowing, mind-snapping idea. And uh, early Christians really struggled with this. This was the thing that they fought about back in the first few, few hundred years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So you had a, you had a, um, a guy named Arius. who you know He's wrestling with this and he's writing theology and he's thinking deep thoughts about this. And here's a quote from Arius. There was a time when he was not. Okay, so in, in Arius' idea, there was a time when Jesus was not. And Arius' motivation was to uphold monotheism. That means one God. Okay, so, so he had a good intention, but he went down a wrong path. So his assertion there was a time that Jesus was not. Does that jive with what we've just read in John's Gospel, in John 1.1? Was there a time when Jesus was not? Uh, not according to my Bible, Arius. It says right here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a modern-day um, false teaching connected to Arianism that you'll hear in the Jehovah's Witness Church. And you'll, he, you'll read this in their Bible. They insert an, an indefinite article there and they make a lowercase g and they change this verse to uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And, and that's a form of Arianism that's still alive today. So there's a distortion of this teaching in John's Gospel, not just back in, in the... The fourth century, you know, when the councils resolved this debate between uh, Arius and uh, other perspectives that would uphold the deity of Christ, that he is God, uh, that debate still continues today. And so maybe you've had some well intended people knocking on the door of your house, okay, and they've got even pretty serious arguments for why they would change this verse. But again, uh, Jesus says, I'm not a way, I'm not a truth, I'm not a life, I'm not a God. I am the way, the truth, the life. He was with God in the beginning, and he was God. The God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All things were made through him. Now, these, this prologue to John's Gospel, you're going to hear 
language that's introduced that's going to be echoed and reverberating throughout John's gospel. So a lot of the concepts that we're getting in these first 18 verses of John, as you read through John's gospel yourself this week, this month, this spring, and I encourage you to read it again and again so that it really soaks in and you really grasp a hold of it, but you'll see themes that are introduced here that are going to carry out. And so this idea of all things being made through him, you hear that in Jesus' own prayer in John 17, when Jesus says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so again, a reaffirmation of the theology that John is introducing here at the beginning of John's gospel. The word of God, the way that God is most clearly spoken, the first work of creation and now the new work of creation, God himself seen and made known through Jesus. All things made through him. Today, as as we're coming to this story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, hopefully with fresh ears and fresh eyes, hopefully not just letting familiar words kind of go in one ear and out the other or wash over us, but really pondering and thinking, what do each of these phrases mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Word of God, that through Jesus God is spoken most clearly, most genuinely, most realistically, the ultimate expression of God Himself? What does that mean for you and I? If Jesus is God's Word, have you heard Jesus is doing, he's ushering in God's new creation. Are you on board with that? The word is speaking and calling. He is God with us. And that's the glory that John is going to speak of next. So not only is Jesus the word of God, but he's also the life and the light we've seen here in verse 4. Let's, let's read that again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That theme of life we're going to see throughout John's gospel. For example, in John chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus says this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus is not a life. He is the life. There's no way that anyone's going to have a meaningful, purposeful existence apart from the life if Jesus has life in himself, just as God does. If Jesus is the life, there's no other path that's going to lead to self-actualization, fulfillment, purpose, meaning. All those paths will ultimately be empty and hollow and shallow. And that should give us an energy and an enthusiasm to not just grab hold of the life for ourselves, but to spread good news. Uh, I heard reports from the, the students that went down to youth winter camp that the speaker challenged them with this idea. Uh, in fact, he, he had, I, I believe the story was that the speaker had a friend who became a Christian, co-worker or friend, and after he became a Christian, he confronted the speaker at this retreat and said, how little did you care about me that you wouldn't tell me about Jesus? You knew, and you didn't tell me. I mean, what a challenge. 
to have someone actually confront you with that. But if Jesus is the life and you know that truth and you're holding that truth back, what would motivate you to not share the good news, to not testify, to not proclaim? If you know that without Jesus, that person's going to have a hollow, empty, meaningless existence, he's the only place where there is life. Hopefully it's not out of a sense of duty, obligation, compulsion, because the pastor gave you a guilt trip and made you do that. But because of joy that you have tasted real life yourself, how can you not share that and bring that joy to someone else? John says the life was, was the light of men. There's a connection between life and light. Life equals light. That's not the only place in John that you'll see that connection. And Jesus says himself in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, you know, uh, we have some similar ways of talking about the connection between light and life. You know, like when someone's on their deathbed, we might say the light has left their eyes. Or they're just a, a shadow or a dim picture of who they were. So we have this idea, the connection between light and life. There's also, again, connections back to Genesis 1. The first uh, proclamation of creation from God's own mouth. The word that he spoke and used to bring that new creation. What did he say? Let there be light. That was in Genesis chapter 1. And so, again, this creation theme is continuing on. New creation through the one who was there at the time of the first creation. Now there's a contrast here between light and darkness. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, most often when John speaks of darkness, it's not in the way of the absence of light. Okay, that, that is one aspect of darkness. Really, he is tying into that somewhat with the connection to creation. At the beginning of time, the darkness was not some metaphor for evil. It was simply the absence of light. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, it said there in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. So light is really, uh, darkness is really the absence of light. Darkness as um, not in contrast to light, but simply when light doesn't exist. And yet for John, most often there's a, another meaning to darkness. It's something bad. It's something evil. It's something in contrast to the light. And you'll see him build that theme as he does, for example, in, in, Genesis, or in, in, in John chapter 3, as Jesus says in verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Was that condition unique to the first century? Have you ever seen anyone today in our culture who loves the darkness more than the light? Have you ever been pulled there yourself? Jesus comes into a dark world and he shines the light which brings life. Not just in the first century, but also in the 21st century. Right to a, a culture and a world and a society that we read about on the headlines of every paper, that we hear on every news story. 
a lot of darkness, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hurting one another. And Jesus is the light that brings life. The darkness doesn't overcome his light. There's still darkness. Maybe the darkness accentuates the brilliance and the radiance of the light. And it's a necessary corollary to that light that's shining forth that Jesus himself brings and brings life. And in all, the con- all, of, all of this discussion of God speaking through Jesus, the Word, the light, the life, the new work of creation, we now meet a man named John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is John the Baptist's purpose. It's his mission. It's mentioned in each of the Gospels. And so John came, not, not, that, uh, not like uh, in, in the book of Acts, you'll, you'll hear those who say, well, we, we received John's baptism. There may have been some who thought John was the light. And that might be why John the Gospel writer, who's different from John the Baptist, okay, we're two different Johns here, uh, that might be why John the Gospel writer accentuates that point. He says, uh, John was not the light, but he came to testify, to point to the light. Really, I see in John's minist- John the Baptist's ministry a template and a pattern for our own mission and function in the world. We're called to point to the light. Jesus makes that explicit. You are a city on a hill. You're a light on a candle stand. Do you, do you hide the light under a basket? No, you, you put it on a, a stand so that its light goes forth. Light radiates. You are the salt of the earth. You are a light in darkness. His purpose for us is that we reflect the light of Christ to a dark world. And as John the Baptist did, testify, witness, proclaim, speak, and say Jesus is the light that brings life. That was John's mission, and that's our calling as well. So that theme of light coming into the world is repeated as Jesus speaks these words in John chapter 12. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And the challenge for you and I today is not just have we heard God proclaiming his new work of creation most definitively, most clearly through his Son, through the Word, but have we seen Have we both heard and seen? Have we seen the life and the light in Jesus? Light in darkness. And if we have, walk in the light. Point to the light. Be sons and daughters of light, as Jesus says later in John's Gospel. So we've met John the Baptist here already in the prologue, and really the rest of chapter 1 is going to go into uh, a, uh, the story of, of John, John the Baptist's ministry. We'll save that for next week. But let's look at the, the, uh, the end of the prologue here. 
verses 9 through 18. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A lot of verbs that relate to you and I right here in this paragraph. So first of all, there are those who receive and those who do not receive. Okay. There's Jesus is the word who was present before creation. He is ushering in this new work of creation. The one who stood outside of time, space, and matter and spoke the world into existence, said let there be light, is now stepping into that created order. And there's that new work of creation. Do you hear God speaking through the word? Not only that, but he is light. In the midst of darkness, he's the only source of life. And so all that action is on him. Right? You, know, you and I had nothing to do with creation. And we have nothing to do with new creation. You know, we weren't coaching God along saying, okay, God, now you should create this or that. Let's remember our, our place in, in the universe, in the order of things. We are created. He is the creator. And idolatry is anytime we begin to worship anything that's created and take our eyes off the creator. Could be another human. Could be something tangible, like an asset something material, physical. All those are part of the created sphere. But there is a creator. Do we hear him? Do we see him? Are we allowing our hearts to go after something that's only a life, a way, and not the way, the truth, the life? And so there's no, there's no active role that you and I play. But there is a passive role that we play. There's a response that's the word receive that John brings in here. It's all God's action. He's the one speaking through the word. He's the one illuminating through the light. He's the one who gives life, both in Genesis 1 and in John 1. But there is a, a passive role that we play of either receiving or not receiving, of either walking in light or loving darkness. And so for those who receive, that's, that's the first step. Then there's a, a believing. There's another verb used here in this paragraph. And that, that word believe, faith. You know, the Greek word is faith. So, you know, it could be faithing in, putting faith in, trusting in, believing in. It's not just uh, an intellectual practice. It's believing in a, a wholehearted, all-in sort of a way where you, you say, I'm, I'm putting faith in this, that this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, this is the only way to get out of darkness and into light. I'm hearing and I'm seeing and I'm receiving. 
the action that God initiated. And there's a promise here in verse 12 that should bring hope. If you're in this category of those who have received Him, have believed in His name, which by the way we haven't heard yet. Did you notice that? Those who have believed in His name. John's building some suspense here. I haven't told you the name yet. I've just said it's the Word of God. He, is, he, he was there at the beginning. He is God. He's at, he's at the Father's right hand. He was with God and He is God. He's the light. He's the life. If you believe in His name, if you've received Him, you'll be adopted. You'll be brought in. You'll become children of God. But I'm not going to tell you His name yet. John the Baptist, or John the Gospel writer is making us wait a little bit, building up some tension and momentum. Those action words here in this paragraph, receiving, believing, putting faith in, trusting in His name. And then He gives the right to become. So there is a becoming that comes after the receiving and the believing. There's a becoming. And that's our, our new position as sons and daughters of God, children of God. Born of God. Not by the flesh, not by the will of man, not by blood. A new kind of birth. Jesus expands this in a personal conversation with Nicodemus just a couple chapters later in chapter 3 when he speaks of being born again. And, you know, for this old codger, this Pharisee who'd studied the Old Testament, it was a mind-blowing concept. Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't have eternal life. And he's like, hey, I'm an old man. Am I going to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no. A spiritual birth, a new birth, born again. Is that part of your vocabulary? You know, I remember when my parents... Uh, first came to Jesus back in the late 70s, early 80s. That was a common way that you would introduce yourself. Hey, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian. And people, most people out in the world would be like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Just like Nicodemus did in John chapter 3. I don't hear a lot of people speaking that way anymore. Maybe we need to reclaim that and start asking people, are you born again? Because a lot of people in America just use the label Christian. And it can mean a lot of different things, right? I'm nice. I go to church on Easter and Christmas. You know, I'm theoretically a a Christian because I'm not a Muslim or a Buddhist or something else, right? But maybe we need to reclaim that idea of being a born-again Christian, which this is a radical, life-changing, like the old you has died and there's a new birth And just as radical as passing through that birth canal was the first time around, that's how radical the transformation is as you step into a whole new world. Can you imagine the, thankfully none of us can remember, moving from amniotic fluid and umbilical cord in a very confined space to that terrifying, where are the walls? getting spanked by a doctor, having that cord cut, all this within minutes after emerging into this new work of creation that we all experienced in the physical, flesh, will of man, blood sense. 
And Jesus is saying this new work of creation is just as radical. All the boundaries are blown apart. Everything you thought you knew, your lifeline to that old world is now gone. There is the way, the truth, the life. There's light. You are now a son or daughter of God if you receive and believe in Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Became flesh. Jesus, he, prior to this event that's recorded in each of the Gospels, he was fully God. He was with God in the beginning. He was God in the beginning of time when he said, let there be light. He was God. So he was fully God all along. But now at this time in history, he's also fully man. When he was born as a baby in the manger, this incarnation happened. So in, incarne, you know Spanish, that Latin root, flesh. In the flesh, incarnational ministry, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, this should be good news to us that the Creator of all things, the One who existed before time began, has now stepped into our world. Tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. And his shed blood makes a way for our sins to be forgiven. There's good news coming because of the incarnation. Exactly what Jesus did is what you and I are called to. As Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us, that's a tabernacle word. It's like a pitching your tent kind of a word that's used in the Bible. So God came, in, God came in human form and lived right where we are. And he lets us see who he is. He lets us see his glory. That's all right. We've all been there when the sermons get too long. And so... This is a picture of, of the ministry that you and I are called to. We've got some missionaries here today from Minnesota that are doing this kind of work in South Dakota. They're not, they're not South Dakota natives, but God's given them a heart to reach Native Americans there on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. You can't do that from Minnesota any more than Jesus could come, uh, could, could, could be the Savior of the world from the realm that God occupies, heaven. Jesus stepped into the world where you and I live and he became flesh and he dwelt among us. And whether you're called to go from Minnesota, take your 10 kids and uproot and move across to uh, Hot Springs, South Dakota and get out there and learn about a new language and a new culture. Or maybe you're called to come from Asia to the U.S. 
and to bring good news to people here who are wrapped up in materialism and they've got some Christianity in their past. But maybe God calls you to come to another country and bring good news here. Maybe God calls you right at your place of work to have that incarnational role on your college campus at Buckley, at the company that you work for, to become flesh, to incarnate the gospel, the good news, to dwell among them, and to to then reveal the glory, to be sons and daughters of light, who don't hide the light, but carry on the ministry that John the Baptist did of proclaiming light, to carry on the ministry of Jesus of dwelling among the people that God calls you to bring good news to. That incarnational ministry. And Jesus did that for us. So that there's not some abstract idea of this God out there who you know, set the world in motion and then stepped back to see how it works out. But God himself coming and stepping into human history so that we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word truth in John's Gospel, it comes up again again and again. Um, John mostly uses truth. A couple different ways you can use the word truth, right? Truth can be the opposite of falsehood. So, you know, a very positive in contrast to a negative. For John, he, he uses the word truth most usually to mean real, genuine, or ultimate. That's what he's talking about. So, for example, there's a time in John's Gospel where he's looking at the word manna. Okay, so just as God provided manna, bread, back in the Old Testament, Jesus is the true bread. Okay, it doesn't mean that manna was a false bread. It just means that, you know, yeah, manna was a real bread. It actually existed. It was something that God provided and people ate. But Jesus is the true bread. He's the ultimate. He's the genuine. He's the real. There's another time that John uh, talks about the vine. And in the Old Testament, Israel was the vine that God chose. But Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine of which Israel is a branch that needs to remain connected and stay in the vine. The true vine. The genuine, the real. Uh, Another time that, uh, several times, John contrasts the law with the grace and truth. Okay, And so in the Old Testament, the law and the wisdom, it gave light undeniably. It was a way that God disclosed himself, revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus is the true light of God's self-revelation. And so here we're, we're hearing John describe how as Jesus became flesh, stepped into our world, dwelt among us, he shows us his glory And it's a gift, grace, gift, same word in Greek. We named our fifth daughter this name, charis, the Greek word for 
grace or gift. Jesus, full of grace and truth. He's the real thing. He's genuine. He's the ultimate. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. You know, if, if you would think that maybe John was superior because he was around before Jesus. And so, you know, he's, he's been around. John is disputing that idea and saying, no, he, he's the pre-existent, eternal creator of the universe. He may have been born after me, but actually he existed before time began. And he ranks above me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. In, in Greek, this is grace, anti-grace. So translators are like, how do you, what does that mean? Um, here in, in my version, it says grace upon grace. Yours may say something different there. But this is uh, another way that you could translate that as grace instead of grace. So, and remember, the word grace is gift, Right? So gift upon gift, gift instead of gift. John unpacks that a little bit more in verse 17. For the law was given, remember grace and gift, same thing. The the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's two gifts of God. One is the Old Testament law under Moses. It It was a grace given by God. But there's a, a true gift, a real gift, an ultimate gift. A gift in contrast to that first gift. It's the real gift. The gift of fullness that we've all received. The grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. And now finally we have the name that John's been referring to. Finally here in verse 17. That gift of the law, it served its purpose. It was a light. That manna, it fed God's chosen people in a way for a time. That choosing the vine that Israel was, it was not insignificant. And yet there is now the way, the truth, the light, the gift, the grace, the God who was there before time began has now come. And to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Finally, in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Okay, the first part of that verse would be totally acceptable to any Jewish reader. No one has ever seen God. Yep, that's a, a recurrent theme throughout the Old Testament. If you see God, you die. If you just catch a glimpse of the hem of God's garment like Isaiah did, you think you're going to die. If you get a, a picture of his back like Elijah did up in the cave, you feel like you're going to die. So no one's ever seen the face of God because that's impossible. Totally acceptable to a Jewish reader. But now again, he, t- he ties up really this whole passage just as he began in, in the beginning of John 1, talking about being with God while being God at the same time. 
he concludes with that same paradox. The only God who is at the Father's side. So he's both God and he's he's at God's side simultaneously. That's just how he began, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Jesus Christ, whom we are called to receive, believe, and then become sons and daughters of God, that Jesus has made him known to us. So those who had not previously seen the face of God in Jesus now know God as he is. What do you do with Jesus? Have you heard his proclamation of the glory of God? Have you seen him as he is? In him have you known God? Have you been content to consider him as an option? A way, a truth, a life. Today there's a a gospel challenge to you and I. That we hear him proclaiming the glory of God. That we see him as he is. That we make him known. That we point to the light that we carry on his incarnational ministry in the spheres of influence to which he's called you and I. Jesus, what we've just seen here at the end of of this passage, the prologue to John, that theme comes up again and again. uh, Jesus himself says in chapter 6 and 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Have you seen him? Have you heard him? Have you tasted that glory? Have you been born again? A whole new way of being human. If you haven't, today is the day. Today's the day that you're hearing the beginning of the good news. Man, I would love a chance to pray with you at the, at the end of the service today. To be a part of sharing in that joy of, of new life with you. So please Find me after church. And if, if you have seen and heard and tasted and believed and received, man, get some excitement about getting the good news out there this week. He's got a mission for us, and it's going to change our world. We're going to end our service uh, today by having Chris and Angie come on up. And as, as they make their way up, let's just stand together in prayer and let's cement what we've heard and learned today into our own hearts. God, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you who created all things are doing a new work of creation in our hearts today. Thank you that you made your dwelling among us. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, the life. Thank you for your light that dispels darkness. And Lord, today we, we receive you, we believe in you, We thank you for the gift of becoming sons and daughters of God. God, may we we see you as you are, proclaim you as you are. Thank you that we know the Father through you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've called us to carry on that same incarnational ministry, to live with the people to whom you've called us, to point the way to you, to have them glimpse you through us. You've called us to become sons and daughters of light. May we not be ashamed of that mission and calling, that high calling. Give us joy in that process. And this week we pray that 
light would go forth from this body, that good news would be proclaimed. And, and now we thank you for this opportunity to hear, hear from some missionaries that we have a relationship with. Pray that you'd bless them now as we close our service with a challenge to us. In Jesus' name, amen.